This week on Unforgotten. We're sharing the story of Army veteran James Aaron Toole. Loved to go fishing with his worms. Loved to spend time in his garden. That was his passion. He would work at the store, pick the girls up from the bus stop, and do his normal hobby. And she had gotten upset. She got into an argument with him. He said his brother was sick, something he did often. He was very close with his, his siblings. I always thought it was weird. He did stop us and was like, you know, you know that I love you, right? Kind of waved and was like, oh, that's a little strange. But Annie's daughter's daughter told them that Aaron was there at some point, that they started arguing again. So he just eventually left. Their mom and dad called his sisters to be sure that he made it there. She had no idea at all what they were talking about. In 2010, however, they got their best tip so far. So she asked a friend's daughter to search his name, and that's when they found the missing persons page. I know in my heart of hearts, he didn't willingly leave. Somebody knows something. Hey, everyone, this is Sellers. And this is Stormy. And this this is Unforgotten, where each episode will highlight unsolved missing, murdered, and suspicious death cases in Alabama in order to raise awareness and hopefully obtain some answers for victims and their families. Please remember that any individual referenced in the podcast should be considered innocent until found guilty in a court of law, and any opinions or views expressed in the podcast are solely those of participants. Listener discretion is advised as some of the content discussed in the podcast may contain violence or graphic descriptions and may not be suitable for all audiences. Be sure to join our Unforgotten Patreon channel today to gain exclusive benefits, including early access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. By subscribing, you'll also be supporting the efforts of ACCA in assisting families and raising awareness for Alabama cold cases. And now for episode 19, James Aaron Toole. Welcome back, everyone. We're taking you to Houston County today. And as promised, we're sharing the story of Army veteran James Aaron Toole, or Aaron as he went by. In May of 1995, Aaron went missing suddenly from his hometown of Pansy, Alabama. And we're honored to be able to explore the events of that day with his granddaughters, Mandy and Ashley, who are carrying on the search to locate who they affectionately call Papa. I love that they call him Papa. I Because that too. is what I called my grandfather. Oh, yeah. And it just kind of tugged at my heart when they said that. Yeah. Oh, they are just, you can tell the love that they have when you hear their interviews. Oh, definitely. We've had a little bit of a crazy schedule with the podcast lately, and we've had some wonderful conversations with families trying to find answers for their loved ones. We have next week, we have um, an episode covering the disappearance of Ross Chapman, and right. we're excited to be able to bring you guys some conversations that we've had with Ross's family. Um, and we were fortunate enough to speak to the investigator on Ross's case, which was great. Absolutely. It was, it was wonderful about talking to us. You know, I also was on vacation last week, so that was a little bit about why we were a little more quiet on the page. Stormy was kind of filled in everything while I was gone. I was trying to, like, pop in and out and help. But we had family vacation. And then, of course, as it goes, we get back from vacation, and then I'm smacked with some kind of 
crud, like sinus stuff. So I'm all congested. My nose feels like... Sultry, not congested. (laughs) Yes, that is exactly (laughs) what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, you would think that, you know, getting on vacation, you'd have a little self-care there and you'd be healthy, but no. (laughs) Well, you would think that salt water would have cleaned out everything. Not so much. Right. Well, um, we also have some updates, I think, coming up, hopefully for, um, or at least some some sharing to do with George James's story. Um, we've been speaking with his mother quite a bit, and we've had some things come up. So hopefully we'll have an update for you in the not-too-distant future. There's some other stuff going on in cases in the background, too. We've been working pretty hard yep. with Michael yeah. on Chad Langford's case, and a couple yeah. other cases, yeah. which we'll be excited to share, but we can't share right now because we've been sworn to secrecy, no. which sucks. <laughs> Darn it. I know. Some stupid bombshell. <laughs> and I'm like one of the worst for keeping secrets, too. So it's so hard. Uh, I know, because you share things with me. You're not supposed to. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm determined. I'm, de- I'm determined now. I'm like, sorry, I can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So first, a little bit about Houston County, which is where we're going today. Located in the far southeastern corner of the state, uh, its landscape is at the western edge of the Wiregrass region or plains in the United States, which primarily in the panhandle of Florida and South Georgia, but also on that very far southeastern edge of Alabama. And you know, when I was looking at it, I was like picturing something like, you know, those amber waves of grain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's not really grain, it's just grass. So I had to look up wiregrass. And I'm telling you, I probably know more about wiregrass now than I ever really wanted what to. And it's really not all that interesting. No, not so much, huh? <laughs> I thought, well, with a name, if you name a region after it, then, you know, it's got to be something interesting, right? No, not so much. <laughs> But it is kind of pretty, you know, if you look at long fields of it. So, I mean, I guess unless you live there and then you probably think, oh, I don't care if I ever see it again. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, probably not. I live there for a reason. So, yeah, yeah. Kind of like kudzu. I think that like sometimes like fields of kudzu are so pretty, but, you know, it takes over everything. Yeah. And that's kind of the way this is. It's almost a weed-like grass. Yeah. So, Yeah. And it's like really short and green when it's young, but it's like really brown and lanky when it's, you know, mature. So now y'all know as much as I do about <laughs> wiregrass and aren't you all the smarter for it? <laughs> uh, I don't know what I would have done without that information. I know. Houston County has a population of roughly 108,000 people and is about 582 square miles. As a point of reference, that's about one-fourth of the population and about one-third the size of Mobile County. It was formed around 1903 from pieces of Geneva, Dell, and Henry counties. Its county seat is Dothan, which is known for the Botanical Gardens, and Landmark Park, which boasts 135 acres with a working farm, historical one-room schoolhouse, a planetarium, and many boardwalks, trails, and picnic areas. It also has the nickname the Mural City, for the myriad of murals around town depicting the area history. And if I'm not mistaken, I think they also have a peanut festival. 
You know, I started looking at that because it said something about peanuts in the area down there. And I was like, well, that's more known in Georgia. But then again, I didn't see the festival. I think they have a peanut festival just because when I... Um, when I was in college, one of my sorority sisters was from Dothan, and I remember her talking about this uh-huh. all the time. <laughs> huh, interesting. Well, a little fun fact for you, the area that I live in, aren't, we have a little town here, and they're kind of fading out now, but we also have murals around town from the history, and it, it's kind of interesting because one of them, you know, back in the day, like way back when there's horses and carriages and things like that, you know, they have... Um, <clears throat> districts that are a little less unsavory and not something that you would want to have these days. But they were kind of a thing, you know, the historical background of a lot of cities way back in the olden days. <laughs> um, so one of the murals is actually like a street corner, oh. <laughs> except it's like this woman in this beautiful, long, flowy dress with one of those beautiful hats that tilts down and it's just, it's kind of funny. I, I thought I'd share that just because it was so interesting. <laughs> it's like, really? They really have that on the wall here? But it kind of fit in with the whole landscape of the mural. So anyway, my little tidbit of funny, weird oddities from my, my neck of the woods. Well, we hear a lot about <laughs> Alabama, so I like hearing about it. So where in Houston County our case takes us today is the small, unincorporated community of Pansy. Trying to locate the population of this small town actually wasn't very easy. There's not a lot of documentation on the internet due to its size, and the sources I found were really varied, like wildly varied, like two, three hundred different, you know, population. When you're talking about about a thousand people, that's a big variance. <laughs> there was another place like that too, and I can't remember where it was. Yeah. So we're just going to stick with. It with what I think is probably the average, and that's about 900 to 1,000 people. Not very big. It's not big at all, no. It's kind of one of those blink-and-you-miss-it kind of communities. <laughs> and it's depicted as one of those close-knit communities where everyone is friendly and looks out for each other. Just a lovely place to live if you like that small-town life. And, you know, one of those small towns where, like, nobody locks their doors and that sort of thing. I'm sure it's probably not as much that way now, but I'm sure it, Nope, we still have you those. Know, has been. Yeah, we still do. And of course, we know we know of a couple stories from those towns that no longer do. It seems like although they didn't have the perfect life because well, who does? Aaron's family in general enjoyed their life in Pansy. Aaron was a beloved man who loved his family endlessly. Mandy and Ashley helped us get a better understanding of who their papa was. There's a bit of family history that brought Aaron into the lives of Mandy and Ashley. Their biological grandfather passed away when their father was only six weeks old. Their granny remarried and then remarried again to Aaron. Let's have Mandy share about the beginnings of her family in her own words. He is not our biological grandfather. Um, My dad's biological dad Um, passed away when my dad was six weeks old. And then my granny, so my dad has um, an older brother, an older sister, him, and then my granny married another man after she, um, my dad's dad died, and they had a child together. Um, And her second husband was a little bit abusive, um, well, a lot abusive, and 
he ended up dying and he died um, when my dad, I don't know how old my dad was, but then my granny married my papa when my dad was about 13 years old. And my aunt and my uncle were already like older teenagers and my uncle was pretty much out of the house by then. So their relationship with my papa was more of like, just like their mother's husband. But for my dad, um, my papa was like the only father figure he'd ever had. So my dad had a really close relationship with my papa. He was a father figure for my dad, but he was also kind of like a best friend. He didn't have any children of his own. So all of my granny's children, um, grandchildren became his grandchildren. And like from the outside looking in, you wouldn't be able to tell that we weren't biological grandchildren um, because he treated us, you know, just like we were his grandchildren. Originally, we all lived in Florida, Plant City, um, and Papa worked at a factory and he would walk back and forth every day. I mean, we spent a lot of time at their house. The family would come over for like holidays. We'd all hang out together. And then eventually everybody migrated up to Alabama. Um, and that's where they were living, that we were living here whenever he went missing. So at that time, um, they were living in Pansy. Um, but I mean, we, he was just always our grandfather. Um, he would take us to the store and to get ice cream and, you know, kind of be annoyed by how loud we were sometimes and try to act tough. But, you know, and when you're like growing up, a lot of times you get threatened, like, especially in the South with getting a spanking or whatever. And most adults, you'd, you know, straighten up after they said that. But with him, like nobody believed it because I don't think he spanked anybody ever. Um, and it would just be like funny because it's like, that's not going to happen. And that's what my dad insisted on being when my nephew was born. He had to be Papa because, you know, my dad and, and my Papa were really close. So I think he wanted to kind of carry on that when he became a Papa. I mean, he just was like a really, um, I don't know. He was just, he was my favorite person, I think, on the planet. It sounds like the sisters and Aaron really just bonded. Um, it was lovely to hear Mandy talk about that and Ashley. Before we go too much farther, we're going to let you hear Ashley tell us about Aaron. My grandfather was retired. He enjoyed gardening, doing things outside. He had a worm farm and he loved to go fishing with his worms and he loved to spend time in his garden and he was really good at growing cucumbers and green beans. So he, he really, that was his passion along with his family. Um, he worked at a convenience store and it was really a great thing for him because it got him out of the house and the convenience store was literally located across the street. So he would walk out his front door, take a few steps and be right, you know, right behind the counter in the convenience store. So he worked there part time and just, you know, gave him something to do. And it's more of a convenience store where the town's old men would gather in the mornings and drink their coffee and they would gossip and they would, you know, share all the news of the, the little town he lived in. Um, so I think he he liked that aspect of it, too, because he <laughs> got to know all what was going on in the town. Both Mandy and Ashley shared that Aaron raised worms, and I just think that's so fun. What a great memory to have with your grandfather, right? We, my grandfather had um, a catawba worm tree, and he also grew bamboo behind their house so that he could make his own cane poles. Oh, that's so cool. Maybe it's one of those small town things, I guess, 
I know that um, like when you go fishing or camping and you are near a small town, you go into those little stores and they always have like fishing bait and things like that. And you picture kind of that's maybe what he did too is, you know, sold them to the little store that he worked at across from his home. Yeah. Everything seemed normal at the time of his disappearance all the way up until the day before he disappeared. He would work at the store, pick the girls up from the bus stop, and do his normal hobbies. However, another thing that was normal in general, but not on a daily basis, was a cycle of a one to two day span where he would drink, and drink quite a bit actually. And when that occurred, as you could imagine, Granny was not too happy. She wouldn't have any of that and would get to stay with her daughter for a spell. The two would eventually reconcile and life would be back to normal. And this brings us to the events leading to his disappearance. Well, it was the day after Mother's Day. Um, and to back up a little bit further, I had just gotten my driver's license um, six days before that. My birthday's May 9th. So I just turned 16 and I used his car to go get my driver's license. And we were living, my parents and me and my sister were living in Pansy in the same area that they were living, my granny and papa. And we had just moved about 20 minutes away. And so my sister, it was the end of the school year, and they didn't want to take my sister out of a school and move her into another school. So she was riding the bus back and forth to my granny and papa's house. And because I just got my driver's license, I was able to go and pick her up after school. And so that's what I was doing. I had gotten there right before she got off the school bus. I came inside the house. I don't remember if I said like where's granny or what's going on or whatever but my granny wasn't there and it was because they had gotten into an argument it was near the week of um mother's day so we had just celebrated mother's day that sunday before and um like i said i would get off the school bus there so that day that i got off the school bus when my sister arrived he told her he said i need to make sure you're here on time tomorrow because i am going to visit my sister at the time who lived in plant city so all of his family was basically from the plant city area he did occasionally like to i would say probably was a binge drinker and it wasn't all the time but he would go and he would drink and then it would be like a day or a day or two and so i guess he had gone and gotten beer or something that night and she had gotten upset she got into an argument with him and she decided to go stay with my aunt it wasn't I want to say it was a big deal but it had happened before over the years so it wasn't like I was shocked or anything it was just like okay here we go again he said I need to make sure you're here so your sister's not you know alone when she gets off the school bus he said his brother was sick and he was going to go visit him. And so that was sort of that. So my sister and I were like, okay, you know, nothing abnormal about the day. Him going to visit his family was not abnormal, something he did often. Um, you know, he was very close with his, his siblings. And so he was talking to me and I was focused on some people across the street. There was a guy that I had a crush on. And so I was paying attention to him. And I remember Papa was talking to me and I was kind of like, uh-huh, okay, yeah. Um, so I wasn't really paying attention to him too much, but then he left. And so I sat down across the, he was sitting in his recliner and I sat in the chair across from him. And I think he realized he had my attention then. And he was like, listen, I need you to listen because I'm going to be, I'm not going to be here tomorrow when you come to pick up Ashley. So I need you to 
get here right when you get out of school because I don't want her here by herself because at the time she was 12. Um, and so I was like, all right. And then he was, he said, I'm going to Florida. Um, and I remember him saying that he was going to visit his sister who was sick. Again, like I, it was a long time ago and he, I was kind of, I was paying attention, not paying attention. Um, so that's what I remember him saying. His sister was sick. Um, my sister got there. We talked for a few minutes and then we left. Um, and before I left, I always thought it was weird. Um, cause he was always really affectionate with us and we always knew how he felt about us. There was no question, but he did stop us and was like, you know, you know that I love you. Right. And I was like, yeah. And we were like, okay. And then we had a doubt. And that was the last time I was in the same space with him. I mean, we did see him later on that afternoon when we passed him on the road, but it was the last time I was in the same room with him. So we get in the car, we go on and we, you know, we head home. And later that evening, um, my mother had a friend who lived a few miles down the road from where my grandparents lived. And we went home, we ate supper. And after we ate supper, we would sometimes go and visit them. And so we were on the way to visit them. And we can remember passing Papa in, on the road. He was going the other way. And, you know, we were going towards our friend's house. And so we kind of waved and was like, oh, that's a little strange, but okay. Because he was, he didn't go many places, you know, later on in the evening. Because usually he would just walk across the street to his store, his job. To clarify this a little bit, as you may have picked up, Mandy said his sister was sick again, and Ashley stated going to his sister's and that he'd be visiting a sick brother. I believe that we confirmed that it was his brother that was supposedly sick, but the story, you know, altogether could have been misunderstood very easily by young kids. You know, they were pretty young at that time. Uh, Ashley was 12 and Mandy had just turned 16, and it's been over 25 years, so that's a long time to remember all that. Mandy does know that at some point, their cousin, who would be Granny's daughter's daughter, told them that Aaron was there at some point to let Granny know he would be out of town and that they started arguing again, so he just eventually left. Um, that may have been where he had been heading to when they passed him on the road, depending on the timing, but that was the last anyone had seen of him that they can confirm anyway. A few days passed, and maybe even a week, and Aaron still wasn't home. Their mom and dad called his sisters to be sure that he made it there, but she had no idea at all what they were talking about. No one was sick, and she hadn't heard from Aaron at all, let alone that he was coming to stay there. At this point, they of course were worried, and they filed a missing person report. The police did interviews with several people, however, they didn't talk to Mandy or Ashley. The girls had gone to visit a cousin in Florida around that time, so they weren't around when the interviews were going on, but law enforcement never did follow up with them. Through the years, Aaron's sisters would come and check up on the case, and one aunt even gave DNA. They did mention to us that Aaron had had eye surgery not long before he disappeared, and so him leaving at night wouldn't make sense to them, but they don't really know for sure if he left at night or the following day. There was also some question in the missing person report on whether he may have had a large amount of cash with him. Ashley confirmed that the last check he wrote was to the store owner, Brunson, for $250. So if that was for cash, that could be what that was in reference to. 
Yeah, I always kind of wondered what it meant in that, you know, it sounded like it was a cash check rather than a payment, but I wasn't quite sure. And I wanted to clarify that with Ashley and Mandy, you know, when we get to talk to him the next time, because I wondered, was he paying them for something or was he actually just cashing a check since it was made out to the owner? Well, he did rent the house from the owner too, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could have been for anything, really. So, yeah, I kind of wanted to double check with them on that and see if they knew. They may not even know. It could just be the same assumption we're making that it was probably for cash. Aaron's niece was checking on the police report several years later and found that in 2003, the missing person report had been taken out of the system due to someone reporting that there had been a traffic stop and that he had identified himself as Aaron. However, there's no record of this anywhere. They had been told this by law enforcement, but no written record of it anywhere. ABI said that there are sometimes issues with the system that trigger a case to be taken out of the system, but he wasn't really confirming that that's what occurred. He was just kind of offering up a possible reason for it. We don't know for sure that that's really the reason. Eventually, around 2008, Mandy and Ashley started looking into things as well, and they were following up on the case, searching the Doe Network, and did a few real-life searches with the help of Team Waters. They also connected with Q one year around 2013-2014 when Q was doing their missing person roadshow. In 2010, however, they got their best tips so far. Ashley contacted Mandy and said that she had gotten a message on the Facebook page that they have for Aaron. Someone had found his wallet. This is just amazing to me. And here is Ashley and Mandy telling the story. Um, so in 2020, it was probably like, it was right when COVID was getting started. Um, my sister called me and she was like, hey, this lady messaged me on the Facebook page And she said that she found Papa's wallet. And I was like, what? That seems crazy. How did she find his wallet? Well, the story is that her uncle, who was a truck driver, he found it at the gas station. um, And then I guess he went home and was like, hey, I found this wallet. And she was like, well, I'm going to find out who this wallet belongs to. And I don't know what steps she took to try to get it back to him. Um, But at some point it got put into a box and packed away. And then she was moving one day, 25 years later, and she found it. The wallet, you know, had had been put up and um, she was just recently going to be moving. So she was going through her things and found this wallet and was just speaking to a coworker about it. And the coworker was like, let's just Google his name. And lo and behold, you know, Papa's Facebook page pops up, his Charlie Project page pops up, and she's like, oh my God, like, the, this is, you know, this is a missing person, it has been for since 95, so she reaches out to the sheriff's department, like most people would and should, doesn't get a reply, waits a couple of weeks, and then decides to send us a message on our Facebook page. And that's when she, I guess she wasn't like tech savvy. So she asked a friend's daughter to like search his name. And that's when they found the missing persons page and they contacted the sheriff's department because that's what we asked people to do at the time. 
she called the sheriff's department and um, she was like, I found this missing person's wallet. Um, what do you want me to do with it? And they said, well, um, we'll contact the family. We'll let you know if they want it. And she said she never heard back from them. And that's when, yeah, that's when she had her friend's daughter message my sister. And so that's how we got the wallet. So it would have been, because she, she could remember it was around her prom. And so she said it couldn't have been much longer after he was missing because she said it was her senior year. It was her prom, the year of her prom. And her uncle lived with her and her grandmother. And so he came home and he was a truck driver and had stopped at a truck stop, which actually the truck stop is still in business. It's still there. There's two convenience stores right there. One is a very big truck stop and he he usually stopped there and he usually got gas there. So both Mandy and Ashley have heard theories and rumors that we're not going to share because none are evidence-based. We wanted to give them both an opportunity to share their thoughts and anything that they wanted to say to their papa if he were listening. I guess probably the first question would be, what in the hell happened? Like, <laughs> that would be that would be my first question. But, um, yeah, because I know, like, in my heart of hearts that he didn't willingly leave and whatever happened happened against his will. So that, that would be my first question. Just wanting to know what happened. Um, I think one thing that I'd like to stress, like I mentioned before, not knowing if people have shared information in the past and they thought that maybe that information just like fell flat and nothing happened. Nobody contacted them or something. If you feel like you have information and you've contacted the Houston County Sheriff's Department and nothing ever came of it and you were always curious, reach back out and let us know. That would be my only thing is all the information that may have just got lost over the years that, you know, tips or whatever. I think at this point, if... If someone had information that was helpful, you know, like my sister and I have both said, like, you don't even have to go to the sheriff's office. You can come to us just like this woman who mailed us his wallet. I, you know, I am not great at that. I don't like to get emotional. Um, I think I, over the years, have disconnected myself to tell a story. So I don't know what I'd say. I'm... You know, I haven't reached out to her again because I, I don't want to like, I don't want to bother her. I don't want to pester her. I don't want her to feel guilty for, for coming um, forward with something that has really been helpful to us. It bums me out, you know, and so I, I definitely don't. Um, I disconnect a lot. So it's just a story sometimes. It's not just a story but you have to be able to separate it to be able to share it so often and so many times. And I'm sure other people feel this way when you're, I have to take breaks from it. So if I, if I go full force for months, it drains you and it really can, can really like make you feel down and put a damper on you. And so I can only do it in bits and pieces. And I know that I feel bad for that sometimes, but I mean, I wouldn't have to say anything to him. I, you know, I said it to him that day, like he said, you know, you, you know, you know, I love you. And I did. So, 
you know, I did get to say goodbye to him. And not a lot of people did. So, um, I'm happy about that. And I know that he knew that I loved him. And so I'm, I'm okay on that, on that front. But, you know, it just, if anybody has information, um, you know, I would love to be able to know what happened. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say closure, but just the fact that, you know, I don't, I don't know what I would do if someone came forward with like really any information that would be of really of substance, but I would willingly listen to them and want them to know that just them coming forward after this long would be, would be just helpful to us. I mean, the only thing I just want to be able to know where he's at, like, where is he? That's the thing. Like there, there was a body like there was a car so how is it just you just lose a whole person that's doesn't make any sense so if if anybody just has information or a tip they you know they don't have to worry about us going to the sheriff's office and them getting in trouble or being held responsible maybe at you know it's just about us and our you know mental ability to be able to know what happened I think somebody somebody knows something. We hope that this reaches someone who has additional information or that has new resources that can help Aaron's family further their search for answers to his disappearance. You can contact Ashley or Mandy through the James Aaron Tool Missing Person Facebook page. Email Ashley at Ashley underscore REM at yahoo.com. Or as always, you can contact us directly as well. All the contact information will be in the episode description. Since Alabama Cold Case Advocacy's creation, we have dedicated innumerable hours to researching and networking in an effort to provide the largest platform we can to the cases we share. We shoulder all associated expenses with Alabama Cold Case Advocacy out of our own pocket including the subscription fees for researching and production of the Unforgotten podcast to provide a cost-free avenue for the victims' families of those cases. We hope you will join in our efforts to raise awareness of Alabama's missing and murdered and support these families who have been forced to carry the immeasurable loss of their loved ones and the fight for answers. If you appreciate our mission and you are inspired to make a donation, your extra support will enable the ACCA to continue our research share the cold cases, and help those families know that they are also unforgotten. Unforgotten is an Alabama cold case advocacy podcast recorded in conjunction with Riverside FM, hosted and distributed by Spotify for podcasters, available on your favorite podcast platform. Intro music for the show was created by Principles of Uncertainty, who also mixed and mastered this episode. Content and production is by Sellers and Stormy. Artwork by Sellers. Credits for music, sound clips, special mentions, and any source referenced in our podcast can be found in each episode's description. We hope you will join us on all the major social media sites and continue to raise awareness of our Alabama cold cases. Until next time, thank you for listening, and remember, justice may be delayed, but the victims and their families remain unforgotten.